Welcome to Vibrant Body and Abundant Life with Tanya Penny. Listen in and learn how to use new mind, body, and spirit wisdom and supportive tools to move beyond your fears, self-doubts, and limiting beliefs. Tanya is devoted to helping you heal pain, illness, and trauma so you can enjoy a healthy body and balanced lifestyle. You deserve to fully live your passionate, purposeful life with abundance and freedom. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome to Vibrant Body and Abundant Life, an inspiring, empowering series where some of the world's cutting edge, mind, body, spirit, healers, coaches, and leaders are coming together to share with you their wisdom, their tools, to support you to move beyond your fears, doubts, limiting beliefs, so that you can heal, whether it's pain, illness, trauma, um, whatever it is in your life that feels like you are having a breakdown in. And I know a lot of us at this time on the planet are, are kind of feeling that big time and definitely in more than one area of our lives. So I am your host, Tanya Penny, and I'm a vibrant body and abundant life catalyst and coach. And I'm here because I'm devoted to supporting you to have that healthy body, peaceful mind, a balanced life, so that you can fully live your passionate, purposeful life with abundance and ultimate freedom. Ah, today... I am excited to share with you the wisdom of Tad Hargrave. We are going to be diving in to the very important topic of money and abundance today. So we're going to be taking a few questions at the end of the call as well. For those of you that are live today, I'm happy that you're here live with us. And you can ask your questions if you are on the phone by hitting star 2 at any time. And if you are on the webcast, you can submit your questions at the bottom of the screen. There will be a box, and um, if you can just put your first name at least, that would be great. And we'll be opening up towards the end of the call, like 45 to 50 minutes from now, um, if anybody has any questions for me or Tad. So let me tell you a little bit about Tad for those of you that are new to him. So Tad is a hippie who developed a knack for marketing and then learned how to be a hippie again. Despite years in the nonprofit and activist world, he finally had to admit he was a marketing nerd, and in the end, he became a marketing coach for hippies. For almost a decade, he has been touring his marketing workshops around Canada, bringing refreshing and unorthodox ideas to conscious entrepreneurs and green businesses that help them grow their organizations and businesses without selling their souls. I love that part. Hello, Tad. Welcome. Hello. Good to be here. Yay. So excited to have you. And um, I just love having people from all walks of life, different backgrounds. And you've got a really interesting, um, I feel, an interesting story. And when I heard about you um, through, gosh, I think I, it was a money program I took with Barry, and I heard about you and um, just liked your liked your message and uh, what you had to bring to the world. So, 
So thanks for being here today. So where do we want to start, Tad? Um, I feel like I want to hear a little bit more about your story and how you got to be where you are today as a marketing coach. And um, I think for everyone listening, it's just our stories are, are powerful. So would you share a little bit with us about how you came to be the marketer for hippies? Well, yeah, I mean, I, who knows how interesting my story is, but I um, <laughs> I uh, have been self-employed since I was 18, or, you know, left high school, and I just couldn't uh, keep a job, it seemed, and uh, I didn't want to work for anyone else, and so I said, well, you know, be self-employed in some way, and so I... Uh, but before I graduated high school, actually just out of it, I ended up working for a franchise of a leadership development company where I learned a lot about marketing and sales. And some of the stuff around the marketing, um, you know, I still teach is, is really relevant. And some a lot of the stuff around the sales um, in particular was uh, – it, it's not something I'm a fan of. A lot of high pressure and what I would consider manipulative uh, behaviors. And so – I did that for years, and then the, that organization just collapsed. It just ended, and so I um, couldn't do that anymore. And I ended up working, uh, doing some environmental social justice work, which led me to be very critical of the system because I've kind of, out of high school, been well, you know, I don't know, young capitalist uh, orientation towards the world. You know, the system's totally fine, and we just need to work the system, and it's all good, and, you know, uh, the free market will save us. And I, hmm. I began to question a lot of that. But I th- discovered that I still had this interest in marketing. I still, And I had a lot of friends who were trying to start good business, you know, green uh, solar power or this type of thing, a holistic uh, medicine. And so <clears throat> and they were terrible at marketing. They'd tell me their ideas, and it drove me nuts, and I just was, uh, don't do it that way. How about, you know, here's an idea. Finally, after enough of those conversations, I thought, maybe I should get paid for this because I really enjoy the conversations. It seems to be very helpful and helps them make money. Maybe I can make money doing that. And so I just started uh, from there, you know, and uh, no particular plan. I started doing some workshops, and the first ones were terrible, and, and uh, they, <laughs> they got better as, as I went. So, yeah, that's the that's the general story. Well, I think that uh, we talked a little bit before we before we got on the show that we have that sounds like we have that part in common, and I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people listening to this that also feel that way, where it's like, gosh, you just don't you just don't want to work for somebody else, or you feel like you have better ideas, or you know other things to share that maybe you can't in the organization that you were in or that you're currently in. And kind of just like that rebel spirit, right? Like, I'm going to do it my way, and I don't want anybody else to tell me what to do. (laughs) I feel like we really have that in common. And we were joking before about, you know, we're kind of a pain in the ass working for other people, um, to those those people. Yes. So (laughs) We we were the pain in the ass. Yeah, we were the pain in the ass. Um, But I think that that's something – like, it's a personality thing. I think it's a part of what our soul, if you want to call it, our soul or spirit, you know, we, we were here to show up and do things our way so we could help other people do that as well. And, you know, specifically when it comes to money, 
right? Making money, earning money, receiving money for doing the things that, you know, our jobs, the things that we're guided to do. I think there's a big shift happening in, in the world um, around that. And people are starting to starting to see that, yeah, you know what? It can be, you know, I can work for myself. I can do something that I love to do and I can put myself out there and get paid for it. Right. And maybe maybe at first it's, you know, like you said, you did your workshops and they weren't so good. But then the more you did them. Right. So, yeah, I guess I'm just how are you seeing that in the world right now? Like people coming out, working for themselves, starting their own businesses and realizing that, you know, I can make money doing what I love. Yeah, I certainly see that happening. Um, yeah, increasingly, I think it's uh, for a lot of people. There's a, a rise in self-employment, you know, which is which is a mixed bag. Not everyone. I, I agree with you as you're saying. You know, there's a certain personality type. Not everyone is built to be an entrepreneur, and good. You know, there's no shame in that. There's there's a, a real strange demonizing of of people who work jobs. Uh, in this scene where it's somehow seen as less evolved or, you know, as as if to say, yeah, screw those firemen saving people's lives, teachers with their teaching. And, you know, mm. it's, um, thank, thank God there are people who, who have these jobs and, and thank God they're, you know, entrepreneurs too. So there's, there's room for all of that. And, and certainly there is this, this rise in it. And as you say, there's, um, um, well, enough to say that it's it's good to see that there are people who are maybe seeing that something is needed in the world, or seeing that they have something to give, and seeing that they can't give those gifts, they can't uh, solve those needs in the community uh, in a job they're in, or in a nonprofit, or or that they they don't see it being done in the way they think it should be done. You know, and again, that could be nonprofit, that could be social enterprise, it could be a strict for profit. But where people look at the way it's being done, they think I could do it better. That's not the right way mm. to do it. And sometimes, mm. sometimes you can do it within an existing organization, and that's much easier. And my God, you get benefits, and you get you know, uh, you get to just leave your work at the office. And uh, I think there's a lot of days many entrepreneurs wish they were employed by somebody because that'd be, you know, more certain. <laughs> And in uh, the in the, the, the consistent yeah. paycheck too is kind of nice sometimes. Yeah. So it's, but it's yeah. Sometimes you just see it's like I can't do what I feel called to do in an existing structure. I'm going to have to make it, and that's not. I don't. I don't think that's something. Again, that's not like a, a superior position. It's hard in its own way. I mean, working for the man is hard in a certain way because it can be yep. soul crunching and and all that. But being self-employed is 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 tricky too because you're reinventing the wheel and that's that's an immense amount of work to to build new structures to figure out how do you want to do it to start from scratch. Um, it's it's a lot easier to fit into uh, an existing structure. And again, I'm not saying easier isn't bad. It's just that's the the reality of it. And and hey, wouldn't we all like some more ease sometimes? So yeah, yeah it's, I think it's, there's pros and cons for sure. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and there are, I mean, I've had some clients, too, that, you know, they thought, oh, you know, I'm going to do my own thing and my own business. Right. And some people, some people aren't cut out to be entrepreneurs. Like you said, it's, it's, it can be very difficult. It can be challenging, right? It challenges all of our stuff. So, so yeah, um, what, 
In regards to money, okay, because today we're really talking about money flow and abundance. And what is something that you see to be one of the biggest blocks in your, you know, in your marketing and your coaching with people um, when it comes to receiving money for their work? What is one, like, yeah, if you just want to share with us one of the blocks that you see for people around that now, receiving of money. There, there's, a, there's a couple that comes to mind. One is arrogance. Mm. And the other is thinking that it has anything to do with their self-worth. Those are two of the, on the more emotional, you know, level, those are two of the blocks I see. Uh, and the arrogance is the thinking that you can do everything alone. Arrogance is, is uh, imagining you don't have needs. Uh, it's it's a, it, it's an immensely humble thing to accept money from people because what you're confessing in the receiving of the money is it's like, hey, I'm not God. Uh, I'm not um, self-sufficient. Mm. I rely on other people, and I need your help. And so there's, there's a, a huge amount of humility that comes in just being willing to acknowledge that you actually can't do it alone and that it is this reciprocal relationship of you give them some help and they give you money. And um, it's, it's, um, it's a real arrogant thing to not accept help, to imagine that you're, wow. you're above it and beyond it all. You're the one that doesn't need help. You're the one that should just be able to do it on their own. Um, you know, in a lot of restorative justice work, um, you know, if somebody does something real bad, I'm thinking of a, you know certain indigenous communities um, around the world where they practice this, and somebody might do something very bad and very hurtful, but one of the understandings is it's coming from a certain arrogance and that what's needed um, and that hopefully what the consequences bring uh, or the contending with, not not manufacturing punishment as a consequence, but helping people contend with the actual real consequences of what they did, that part of what that engenders, um, if everything works well, is a certain amount of humility and realizing, yeah, you need teachings. You need to learn something. Um, and that's just hard. <laughs> it's very hard to be humbled. You know, there's no coincidence that the words uh, humility and humiliation are so similar. You know, humility is when you realize you're human and humiliation, other people realize it for you. Um, you know, and often in public and often in a way that doesn't feel great. And so there's this um, this kind of spell of self-sufficiency that is so rampant in the dominant culture of the West that we should be able to do everything on our own and this shame if we can't. So that's one thing. <laughs> if... Um, if you're, if you're stuck in this idea of self-sufficiency, um, yeah. it's a kind of arrogant posture, and it's very hard to then receive uh, anything, any kind of support, whether that be money or, or any other form of support. Wow. You know, I love that. that. When you said arrogance, I had no idea you were going to take it that route. Um, <laughs> I would have never considered before that, you know, the not the not receiving not being open to receiving money would be arrogant. And yeah, that totally, that totally makes sense. And I think so many of us do have that. I should be able to do it all alone belief. And to realize that that can, that can keep you from receiving money. That's so, um, I've 
I've just never said that. <laughs> yeah, you know, and it's not a, it's not an arrogance where you um, it doesn't appear like arrogance when you're inside it. It just appears like um, I'm such a giver. It's like no, no, no. You don't worry. You don't worry. No, you don't pay about no. Hey, this one's on me. <clears throat> but that constantly, always being done. And like, hey, could you come and help me tonight? Yeah, totally, totally, absolutely, I'll be there. And you're just always there for everyone else. And then you eventually collapse in this ash heap of um, of utter fatigue and burnout. And the part that you, you haven't been telling everyone is that all the way up until the collapse, you this resentment has been growing in you towards everyone else because of how much you do and look what you do for the community. And so this thought that you can survive without other people's help, it sounds like, it's, I get that it sounds like humility. It sounds like you're so generous, but it's this form of emotional collapse. It's this um, illusion of, you know, that, yeah, you don't need any help as if you're the one. Oh, my God, we've been waiting for you, the one that is completely independent and uh, self-generating of all their <coughs> needs um, we've heard about you, the chosen one, as if that's even something to aspire to, that you would suddenly opt out of the web of life and now you don't need anybody else and you just are there to give and not receive anything. And then, mm. but then what happens to community? You know, it's like I don't, there's a, probably a lot of ways to build community, but I'll tell you the way to destroy community is you be self-sufficient. You don't need anybody. Because as soon as you don't need anybody, uh, why talk to your neighbors anymore? You know, a while ago I was, had to do a sewing project for a quilting thing, and I realized I had no needle at all in my house. And that was the very first time I ever talked to my neighbor. Even though I'm all wow. about the community and village-mindedness and all this, until you need the cup of sugar, until you need each other. But this culture just wants to have us, um, you know, um, no, I don't owe anybody anything. I'm off well, the yeah, and I, I tend to call that, um, when I teach, it's it's the same thing. I call it like superwoman, superman syndrome, uh-huh, where, uh-huh. you know, you like you should be able to do everything on your own, and we are so conditioned in this culture to, like, wear that as, like, a badge or, you know, like a, like a medal of honor, like, I don't need anybody's help, and I'm self-sufficient, and I'm independent, right? So I think it is conditioned by our culture. And then I think obviously also growing up, whatever your experience was growing up could feed that as well. Um, you know, well, like I had two, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, you know, to consider Superman and superwomen, superwomen, they're not from earth, from another right. planet. So that's, that's one thing to consider. <laughs> but the other is um, that could it be that you know, I would say, without any exception on this, human culture ancestrally um, was was uh, built on this fabric of kinship and community, meaning yeah. a mutual need of each other, this deep interdependence, and that when colonization comes in and starts to fracture the, the village, you know, that village that it takes to raise a child and do anything worthwhile, and it becomes atomized down to the nuclear family and then to individuals and then not just the individual but the inner life of the individual and suddenly your life is just the size of your yoga mat um, when that happens could it be that that was um, a devastation that was uh, wrought on the lives of our ancestors 
and that that devastation became deified at a certain point, where something that would have been horrifying to our ancestors, this sort of isolated, independent life where you don't need anyone and you don't rely on anyone, that now becomes the thing that we seek. Uh, that becomes the thing we valorize. And that's part of how colonization works. You know, first generation, they come in, they conquer you, and you fight back, but then the kids mm. want to be just like the conquerors. So what I'm saying is this independence is you can tie it directly to empire uh, and <clears throat> this thrust of the dominant culture that's destroying everything. It's um, mm. part of that culture. Yeah, I wow. I really, again, I just, that arrogance piece is really, it's interesting to me. And I can see how, you know, how it's woven in now, um, the way that you explain it with the, yeah, I think that's one of the biggest things with business. Um, I'm just thinking about business owners right now, but really anybody in general when it comes to money or receiving love or, or any of it, that we have been, that's something that's really being called to shift right now is, you know, we're not alone and there's a, I think the quote is, um, swimming in the ocean of mutual benefit. Um, is, is a quote that, yeah, it really kind of explains what you're talking about, how, you know, we're not meant to be on an island. We're not meant to just give, give, give and isolate ourselves or just overgive. Cause I think those are two, those are two pieces of it. And, and so often as spiritual or conscious, um, people and or business owners, you know, we think that overgiving or giving selflessly is uh-huh. Again, a good thing. <laughs> and, well, and, you know, you know I would, I would, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, I would connect this to that second piece of thinking that money has anything to do with self-worth. Yeah. Because this is so endemic in this culture, and it's particularly endemic in this kind of conscious scene where suddenly we're exhorted to charge what we deserve, uh, uh, charge what you're worth, what is your net worth financially. You know, it becomes very, and if you're not willing to pay $10,000 to sign up for my coaching program, don't you think you're worth it? Um, don't you deserve it? It's, it's, a, it's a, It sounds good. It sounds empowering to say charge what you're worth. But the scorpion's tail of it then is, well, what if somebody charges more? Now, are they worth more as a person? And uh, is it a self-esteem thing if I can't allow myself to receive this uh, obscene amount of money while people are starving around the world and, you know, it's suddenly all the very real um, political and, and, and um, human questions of, of uh, this global attempt at a village we're in, ask of us. And so the, it, it's, um, people, often, people often come to me and they say, um, yeah, well, I'm struggling. You know, I, I got to charge more. I got to make more money. I guess, like, I just got to... Maybe it's just I don't think I'm worth it. And you can see them suggesting that maybe what they need is some therapy. And if I could just have some ther- therapy, you know, I feel like I deserve more than I could receive. And that's probably in there. That's probably a part of it. But it's it could also be that it's utterly a distraction. That um, when you make it about your self-worth, you, in order to solve it, you're, it, it, that's actually the problem. You're mm. using the problem to try to solve the problem um, and the answer might lie more in the arena of <coughs> um, separating the two completely. 
and that what if pricing is there's really two things going on in terms of figuring out what to charge and charging it. Uh, one is the facts, and they have to come first. Just what are your expenses? Where do you live? You know, um, if you live mm-hmm. in the states, you probably want to make more money than if you live in Canada, where we've got healthcare and social services, or you know, um, and are you? Do you have kids? Um, <clears throat> what's your rent? You know, all these. They're just the basics. Mm-hmm. You have to really run the numbers of. Um, what are my expenses? What are my goals? As a baseline, you got to get the facts first, and then second, the feelings around it. You know, and Mark Silver, a colleague of mine, has a beautiful, he's a great blog post called "The Wackiness of Resonant Pricing." And but the the, the basic process, once you have those facts in mind, you sit down and you think. So let's say you're figuring out what to charge uh, per hour, and part of the facts, by you know, is what do other people charge in your industry. What, what are the norms? Like all of that goes into this <clears throat> process. But then you sit down, and you might start with something that you 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 know is too high. So you think ten thousand dollars an hour, and there's a clear, and you really tune in. And let's say you get a very clear no, that is obscene and ridiculous and outrageous. So, okay, what about one dollar an hour? Well, it's too low. God, I would resent the hell out of that. Um, okay, five thousand. God, that's too high. Fifty. You know, you know, and you go back and forth, and what you'll find is. If you really tune into your body, there's a sweet spot. You, you do land on a number eventually that just feels right. Now, that number might be more than you think it should be, and it might be less than you think it should, or what you thought it would be anyways. But the, if you charge an amount that feels off for you, you're going to be off rhythm. You're not going to uh, – you're going to be weird when you say it. Like, And if, if that number is way less than um, feels right and you actually resent it, you just won't even mention those services because you, you, you'd be resentful of receiving so little money. And if it's more, you won't mention it because, oh, my God, they're going to think I'm a fraud. They're going to think I'm totally full of it. Who am I to charge this money? You know, it's going to feel off in some way. And so sometimes what it means is people do need to – they end up charging less than, than they initially thought or some business coach told them, well, you deserve more and all this racket. But they charge an amount that, okay, this amount, it seems less, but it feels right. And it's, it's sustainable for me. It's going to work based on the you know, business model I have, and I've got this job, and I can work that and slowly phase in. And then there, would, there does come a point, if you keep paying attention, where it, it might be, oh, the price has to change, and that might be up or down. But you may realize this no longer feels good for some reason. And sometimes it's like, I need to raise my price. And it's not, and it's zero to do with what you're worth. This is like an utterly separate conversation. It's just because... What do you say then if somebody's like, why do you charge this amount? What are you going to say to them? Are you going to actually look them in the eye with a straight face and say, because that's what I'm worth, as if you're teaching them some big lesson, you know? Or, you know, might it be uh, easier and, and more true to say, you know what? I ran the numbers, and that's the number that felt right. And that's it. That's and the I, only reason you charge that. I really... Yeah, I really, I really like that because it's pra- you've got the practical, and then you've got, of course, the emotional. And yeah. I do think that, especially with with business owners, and especially with coaches and healers I, that I see, is yeah, they'll have business coaching, and they'll say, well, you know, you got to charge more, you got to charge what you're worth. And I and I do think, like you said, there is that aspect of feeling worthy, right? Like feeling money aside, feeling like what you offer is of worth. Right, that it's it's good enough, that it's of worth, that it's um, you know, 
you've got that, and then you've got the pricing as a separate thing, and the whole like, okay, what does it cost to run my business? What does it cost for me to live? How many hours do I really want to work? Like looking at some of those real practical things, and then adding in, okay, how does this feel? What feels right for me? And when you said, how does it feel in your body? Mm-hmm. Can you explain a little bit more about that? Because I know there's probably some people listening. They're like, well, what is it? What is, you know, how will I know if it feels right in my body? So I, oh, I get that. Yeah. How do you know? Yeah, you'll, you'll, you, you, well, you know, you um, you just feel tense if it's wrong. You just yeah. feel you're just you're, it's going to feel off in some way. Um, and when you hit the right number, you'll notice your body just relaxes. You take a deep breath in, it's just like, oh, my God, yeah, that totally. If I were to charge that, I could charge that amount and feel good about it. Um, and, you know, and yes, there is a certain amount of, like, amen to the question of is my worth or is my work kind of worth that amount? Uh, or is it, you know, is it deserving of that or is it uh, commensurate? You know, I'm charging this and they're getting that. And is that really fair you know, given what they're getting, there's some honest questions to ask. You know, is are people getting uh, more value than they're paying fundamentally, uh, or at least equivalent, at least? But are they getting more? And yeah, there's some real honest considerations to have because if you charge more than people are actually receiving um, in terms of value, and that's got to be the orientation, not what are you giving, but what are people getting. Because, I mean, if, if the orientation is just what are you giving, then you get all these shitty home study programs that are just a PDF and some audio. You know, <laughs> that's it. And they charge $2,000 because they're right. giving the value. But then when you look at the reality, most home study courses, I think it's like between uh, generously, extremely generously, 10% of people complete a home study program that they start. Oh, yeah. And that's – you know, so – so then, okay, so you gave the value, but they didn't get it. So then, you know, is it, is it right to charge the full amount? Or there, these, these are all worthy questions to be asking of what's the value that people are really receiving. Yes, you gave information, but is the information enough? And, um, you know, some of my colleagues, they have a business called the thegreatecourseadventure.com, and they help people build home study programs. And it's all based on this, how do you create a course worth sharing? And what's going to make it worth sharing is if people actually get results from it. If people don't get results from it, then where's the value? Actually, the value has to live. Uh, they have to be able to receive it on the, you know, the, the customer side. It's got to appear in their, in their life. So, yeah, the question of are, is the value real? Is it being received? And of course, you can measure that. I mean, this is not an abstract question of, oh, God, at some spiritual esoteric level, did the value transfer in some energetic way? You can do a survey. Well, how was this from 1 to 10? If it wasn't a 10, what was missing that would have made it a 10? You know, how, did you, how would you rank these aspects of it? What results did you get from this program? Um, so that's all is findable, outable. You, know? you, can, you can discover, is your program working? Is your work actually helping people? Because I, I'll tell you, the, the worst pitch, and I hear this from just too many uh, holistic practitioners is, is an energy worker, something like this. So, uh, yeah, you have this condition. So what's going to happen is we're going to do some energy work, and I'm just going to kind of hold my hands over you. You won't necessarily feel anything. But then in a couple of weeks, uh, if you feel better, uh, I will take credit for that. 
uh, and the work that we did here together. And if it doesn't feel better, then I'll probably just blame that on your fear and shame. So how does that sound? You know, that's the basic pitch that's being wow. made. And so, so if that's the the pitch is is um, you know, where's the value in this? Uh, you know, there's a, a Guatemalan shaman, uh, uh, probably well known actually in the uh, in your area, uh, Martin Prechtel. There was an interview with him, and he said, you know. The big, the the bottom line of being a, a medicine person is: do people get better? Because yeah. if people don't get better, the hell are you doing? Right. Um, what what, you, yeah, what are you offering and taking money for? If if people but, right. but now, I'm going to be the devil's advocate here and say, you know, I've worked with some people, not a lot, but because the kind of work I do is not usually audio programs, so I have those. I work a lot of one-on-one with people, but. You know, you're going to have those people sometimes that really, um, what if they're not getting value? What if they're not getting better? Whether it's, you know, your, your marketing coaching, whether it's my work, and it's not because of us or the stuff, like what we do works, but maybe they're not working it. Do you know what I mean? Because I, I, I've experienced that as well. Yeah, well, and, and, and that's part of it. But then I would say, and this can just happen sometimes. You know, you get a client and it just doesn't work. There's not a good connection. They're not doing the work that you're suggesting. They're, so, they're you not know, motivated. One time, or, yeah. Yeah, you get, you get that as a gimme one time. But then the, the very next question has to be, now you learn something. If people don't apply what you do, um, they're not going to get the value. So then my question would be, what are you implementing into your marketing process to make sure that you're only getting people who will do it? Mm, How yeah, are you filtering you people out? So, for example, let's say you realize, okay, for people to, let's say you're a health coach, and there's a certain regimen. Let's say you work with people around some, let's say fibromyalgia, and you're helping people to overcome that and deal with it. But you know that it takes some very significant lifestyle changes. You know it's going to take uh, a couple hours a day of various exercises, preparing different foods, uh, et cetera. The, the two hours a day, real committed time to do this. You know there's some certain things they need to read just to <clears throat> keep them on track and help them understand the process and a certain number of coaching sessions and a certain amount of money they're going to need to spend for supplies and spices or ingredients or uh, supplements, etc. So here's the, this is the, the setup for failure, is you do everything you can to sell people without letting them know what's involved. And then once they're involved, then you spring it on them. That's a surprise. <laughs> and then when they don't get it, you say, well, it's not my fault. I've already got your money. And here's my refund policy. As you can see, there's no refunds, and, and you're screwed. Uh, you should have asked, basically. <clears throat> Versus you stand on stage and you say, look, uh, if you have fibromyalgia, you know somebody says, there's a protocol I have, and it's not for everybody. Um, because here's, uh, here are the results. You know, I've, Here are all the people I've helped. I, I cured myself of it. I've cured other people of it. Uh, so this works, but it's, it's also a lot of work. You know, and there's a few different levels of this program, but at the the, the most um, intensive, it takes this many hours. It's going to cost you this much money to hire me, this much money for supplements, etc. So it's this is an investment. And here's my commitment: if you do your part, and I do my part, we're going to get there. And if not, here's the guarantee: if you do your part, 
you've got to make it conditional on them actually doing their part and have them know that walking in. And then let's say you do all of that. You do the whole spiel and you really let people know this is what it's going to take. And people still show up who aren't doing the stuff. Then you might need another level of filtering where in your initial call you say, you know, a lot of people get excited about this. I need to know that you're in, number one. Number two, I need to know, have you scheduled that time into your day timer as a recurring thing every day? When are you doing it? Do you have the support systems you need? Okay, no, call me back when you do, et cetera. So it's, you just keep – like I've, I've had it before where people would sign up for programs on my website and, uh, and it, it just wasn't a fit, you know, a request for a refund, which is appropriate. And I would always ask them. I'd say, okay, so what – I believe you. I believe you it wasn't a fit. I believe it wasn't what you expected. So what was missing in my sales letter or sales process – Mm. or what was there that shouldn't have been that would have let you know it wasn't a fit. And so then you, you kind of build your sales letter as a not just a, a seduction or convincing thing, but as a filtering piece uh, as well. And then, you know, it, 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 this is just a little pro tip. Once you've done your sales letter, you're writing it to attract your ideal client and all this, go back over it and and add to it or take away from it from this standpoint of how could I make this sales letter repulsive to the people who are not a fit for me? <laughs> I love that. What can I add so that the people I don't like would read this and be like, hell no. I want nothing to do with this person. So then you just start working with people who are fit. And when you work with, and you know, this, um, if you start to take this filtering approach, one of the things you'll notice, yeah, you get less clients initially. Because you don't, you don't, the conversion rate, as they say, it's not as high. But what starts happening is uh, no, no frustration, less frustration on your side in terms of the people you're working with, and um, the word of mouth is better because everyone you're working with is really well-suited and they tell their friends how much you help them. And word of mouth and reputation, that's how businesses grow, actually, yeah. in the real world at the end yeah. of the day. So, so, yeah, if you have a lot of clients, you find, God, this is just not working because they're not doing the work. Well, you can then say the lame version of this, which is in the right direction, but it's kind of rookie, is to say, well, uh, I only want to work with people who are ready to do the work you know, who are really ready to take responsibility for their own lives. Fair enough. Great. That's a good start. But then it's got to be, like when I'm talking about marketing as filtering, I'm not talking uh, theoretically, abstractly, spiritually. I'm talking mechanically in your marketing. How do you set up those filters so that people who are not a fit don't sign up or sign up for the right thing? You know, so you might say, okay, so the fibromyalgia, yeah, there's like three levels you know, kind of gold, silver, bronze. There's like the level that is the full meal deal. But I know time and money-wise, not everyone can do that. So there's these other right. levels. You know, this bronze level, it's not going to solve it, frankly. But it will dramatically um, decrease your symptoms and get you on the road uh, to, to being in a place where you actually could heal it. And it's less money. And here's what it is. So then as long as you're clear what you're promising, you know, uh, and you think, okay, if they were to do this, here's what I would feel comfortable kind of guaranteeing or standing behind as a result. Um, it's, it's that kind of thing. And, and part of the filtering, too, is, you know, I wrote a book called Point of View Marketing, and it's all about, so if, you're going to stand up there. You're going to talk about, okay, help you cure your fibromyalgia. And uh, people uh, are, are, let's say they have it. And they're in the audience. Well, now they're interested. This is very relevant to them, and they're they're curious what you're going to say. But let's say you start saying, so, uh, yeah, most important thing with fibromyalgia is we've got to get you eating a lot of animal organs. 
and somebody in the audience is hardcore vegan, it's, that's going to be very, that's a difficult pitch, you know. Um, and so there's, the, or let's say you share, you talk about fibromyalgia and you say, you know, the, the big thing is just, um, you just got to pray. Praying is the thing that really seems to work a lot. But you don't back that up. You don't like it. And somebody's just like, what? This makes no sense to me. This, I, I, this point of view is, uh, seems ridiculous. Versus if you can say, here's my understanding of what creates fibromyalgia in the body. Here's what's really going on. You know, here's the brain scans and here's the, what's happening at the level of tissue. And therefore, this is <laughs> what needs to change in the body. And here's the protocol. And this protocol is kind of the, your best fighting chance. There's no guarantees about any of these things, but this is your best fighting chance. If they resonate with your point of view and they think, oh, yeah, that makes sense. I like that. Well, um, that's part of the filtering. Part of the filtering is you're actually willing to be candid and vulnerable about how you see things. Right. Uh, it it's speaking your uh, truth, that. right? You're, you're putting yourself out there. You're speaking your truth, and that's going to help people just naturally, um, yeah. naturally, you know, say, is this, is this person for me? Is, is this program for me? Versus if it's not. Right. So we've we've all had it where you listen to somebody's take on they're like, how many points of view are there about cancer? And we've all probably heard a bunch at this point. And some of them you resonate with and some of them you don't. Some people say, Oh yeah, cancer, you gotta do a fruitarian diet, nothing but fruit. Other people say, Oh my god, that's the exact wrong thing because cancer feeds on sugar and so you've got to actually eliminate and some people say, No, 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 it's more about when you eat and how you eat and so we've all probably heard a bunch, and a lot of it's confusing, but when you hear somebody, when it makes sense to you, you know, the, the, the relevance of are you speaking to a particular issue, some kind of specialization or, or niche in some way, well, that's, there, there's an emotional relevance there. But then the point of view piece is this logical credibility where people say, uh-huh, yeah, and then they kind of opt in or opt out. Um, and then at least you've been transparent. And you can say, well, I told you what my point of view was, and you came to me for help, and you knew how I saw it. So at least there's a clarity if things don't work out, that you don't feel like you tricked anyone. Because so, so many sales letters and pitches are utterly, um, the point of view is absent. It's, do you have this problem? Yeah. Isn't it terrible? I used to have that problem, too. Now my life is great. And don't you want your life to be like right. mine? Blam, blam, blam. Of course you do. And here's the pitch. And scarcity. And there's only so many spots left. And the first five people in the back of the room get this price, you know. All this and the early and, bird price he, goes away tomorrow at this yeah. time. <laughs> yeah, and so, it, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I love that. I, I love what you're sharing because I do think that, well, so many of us, there's there's a couple things that really stood out from what you just said. And, and one of them is that, you know, taking taking like anybody's money, like thinking we're here to help everyone and – kind of watering down, presenting ourselves so we can please everybody or get everyone to sign up for our program or work with us. And it's like, no, that's, that can actually cut off your, your flow, right? Um, that can actually cut off your flow because you're not here for everybody. And for you to just step out and be who you really are, and in your case you were using um, the term point of view, but just being vulnerable, being authentic, um, not just doing what everybody says you should do or who you should present yourself as. And it doesn't matter what kind of business it is. I know you're talking about health. Um, but, yeah, I think that's like really being, stepping out and being your authentic self and knowing that not everyone's going to like it. 
Not everyone's going to like your program, your point of view, your personality. But when you do that, you are going to naturally and easily bring in the people that you really are meant to work with and help. And there's that ocean of mutual benefit thing, right? Um, that, that back and forth. And everybody's, everybody's in the flow and it's a good fit. That's the whole thing. Is it a good fit? And, you know, the, you know, a lot of the people in this industry, there's the kind of strategy sessions, you know, where you book a free hour and it's a, sometimes a more or less overt sales pitch, you know, for the mm-hmm. of it. And, which is fine, but it's, it's, um, people will often say, okay, so, um, but yeah, you know, I just, I've done all these strategy sessions and they haven't worked. And to me, so much of that comes down to who are you doing these strategy sessions with? Oh, I see people who are actually weren't a fit. Why did you just spend an hour of your time with somebody who wasn't a fit? You know, how do you filter? And oh, so there are a lot of people at this workshop and none of them signed up. And could that be because none of them were a fit? And so how did they actually end up in your workshop mm-hmm. if they weren't a fit? You know, it's to me there's always this and of course it's not like you're ever gonna get this hundred percent perfect and there's no holes in your screen of filtering. But it's this this direction of how do we keep improving this? Because to me, the ideal would be nobody ever comes to your workshop who it's not a really good fit for. You never do a strategy session where it's not already basically a fit and, and you're not just working out the fine details. Um, it's, it, again, that, it's a ludicrous goal in some ways, but it's always <laughs> more clear about what I do and how I do it and and for whom I do it so that the wrong people would never show up. They would never appear. You know, if somebody buys an ebook and says, well, I thought your ebook was more uh, practical nuts and bolts than a theoretical, then you don't just say, oh, wow, oops. You actually go to your sales letter and you, you type in somewhere prominently, say, if you're looking for a practical nuts and bolts uh, ebook on how to do X, Y, Z, this isn't it. This is more mm-hmm. theoretical. It's so every bit of feedback you get, it's not you get the feedback and meditate on it and say, oh, yeah, now I'm a more humble human being and thanks for the feedback. It's that you, you <laughs> put it into your marketing process. So that person would never have signed up. That's the goal, is that you could go back to that person after and say, you know, I heard your feedback. I changed the sales letter or sales process to be this. What do you think? And the response you're looking for is for them to say, that's amazing. I totally would not have bought and that would be success, is if a person who's not a fit would know very clearly that it's, it's, a, it's not a fit for them to buy and that they would say no. To me, that is like, I'll, I, I just <laughs> I give love you a that. slow clap all day long. <laughs> <laughs> but again, you've got to get over the, I want everybody, I want to help everyone, and I want everyone to like me. Right, but, I think which those is are the, probably the, the biggest things people have to to move through and get over in order to be um, successful in in their business. Right? It's it's the niching conversation. You know, there's I've, I've got this whole website nichingspiral.com, and there's not much to buy there, but there's a bunch of free things on it. And um, this whole conversation about niching, you know, um, it, it kind of my my. Working definition of niche would be your role in the community or in business, the role in the marketplace you want to be known for. And so people say, well, should I have a niche? And it's like, oh, you think you get a choice of that you're going to be known for something. 
You think that that's optional, but you get to opt in for being known for something. Um, to say it another way, you're already known for something. The only question is, is that reputation allowing you to do the, the work you want to do and the way you want to do it with the people you want to do it? Uh, that's it. There's, there is no, um, you don't get And are you representing it? Right, and yeah. are you representing it um, clearly on your website or in your emails or, or any of that? Because you can't, you can't appeal to everybody. That's just, I mean, for everyone to just utterly let go of that entirely as a possibility, you can't get everybody. Because even if you try to get everyone to be general, there will be people who are repulsed by your genericness. So now you've lost <laughs> them. So then you go to be more specific. But as you go to be more specific, all the people who actually kind of love the generic thing are like, oh, now they're turned off. Oh, they sold out and they niche down to this. So we're, at, you know, so that you just can't <laughs> get everyone. But it, you know, as you're saying, it, it takes this vulnerability to just speak your truth. And why don't we speak our truth? Why don't we just share our point of view and say, this is how I see it, or this is how I work, and this is kind of my, these are my quirks, and this is who I am? We don't because we're scared of rejection. Yes, yeah. you know, rejection, um, bingo. And so then the question becomes, who gave you permission to be so dishonest with people? Mm. Where does this come from, that it's okay to lie to people in order to trick them to work with you? Uh, so that, but, you know, eventually the truth comes out. Eventually they find out your, your quirks and foibles. Eventually they're going to see what your real point of view is and that you're not quite so open-minded as you represent. All that comes out. So why not just cut to the chase and get rejected faster? Why not set it up so that you never actually have to deal with the rejection to your face because they've already checked you out online and your social media where you're just sharing your point of view and so that by the time people show up at your door, they already know it's a fit. They, they're and not it's, saying, and it's easy. I work with you? And, yeah, yeah saying, and no. it's an easy yes. It's an easy yes. I used to have a coach that said, Chase, um, keep chasing your nose till you get your yes, right? Like, like it's okay if people say no. Um, you have to just right. keep showing up and being who you are, and then when the yes comes, it's going to be so easy, and it's going to be such a good fit that, yeah, it just feels good, right? It just feels good. And so, yeah. I was going to say, the thing I'd add to is, yeah, chase your nose, but if you don't learn from those nose, and if you don't yeah. let those nose shape your marketing, um, then you're just hounding people then you're just that friend who's in that multi-level marketing company. Everyone's like, oh, God, they just won't give up. They're so relentless. They just won't take no for an answer. Or they, you know, okay, I said no, but now they're just on to the next person. They never learned anything. So it's, mm. if somebody says no, and every time somebody says no, especially in the beginning, I mean, genuinely, you could just sit down and say, okay, somebody said no. You could sit there for half an hour and unpack that. Like, why did they say no? What was it about them as a person that made this not a fit or made them feel uncomfortable? Or, and you learn, you can learn so much at every single person who says no. And the people who say yes, like, okay, what am I noticing as a pattern of the people who say yes? Oh, they all seem to be this kind of person. They all seem to be at this stage in their life. They all seem to already have these prerequisites, uh, you know, if you will, already in place. And that seems to be helpful in making people successful in, in my work with them. So maybe I should say, do you already have these things in place? Do you already know how to do, you know, et cetera. Um, and so the, the filter keeps getting better and better, and the offer gets better and more refined. So then instead of standing on stage with a sort of desperate lurching towards them, please buy it from me, and uh, using all the tactics. <laughs> I think you're, desperation, you're you just hit on it. Desperation's another one yeah. of those things that, 
that people can pick up on, whether it's your body language, whether it's um, energetically, emotionally, that can totally block money flow is that feeling of desperation. And it's good to notice that the feeling of desperation, where it comes from, and it comes from a, a thought, I think. And you, the, because do you need clients? Obviously, I teach marketing. Yes, yes you need clients, sure. But the, where it gets, that's not where uh, it gets funky. Where it gets funky is then when you're sitting across from somebody and you say, I need this person to say yes. Do you need people mm. to say yes? Yes. But you don't need that person. You know, if you translate this to dating, and what you have is a stalker. <laughs> it's, you have somebody who just, it has to be you. No, you don't understand. This has to work out. Oh, wow. And something, That's you know, funny. it's like, God, you won't say no. So it's, it's, it's a, yeah, you need people to say yes, not this person. And in fact, it's, then the game becomes, uh, how do you, yeah, how do you get rejected faster if there's a rejection there? Or to say it better, how do you get to the truth of the situation? Because if your agenda in marketing or selling is to get the sale, it's already over. It will be manipulative, and there's nothing you can do about it. I don't care what tactics you use, what sales approach you use. If your goal is to get the sale, if that's the fundamental bottom line and orientation, it can't help but be manipulative. Anytime you want somebody to do something else, this particular person to do this particular thing, and that's your unspoken agenda, manipulation galore. But... If the agenda is to get to the truth as quickly as possible of, in answer to the question of is this a fit, um, it's, it's, it's almost impossible to manipulate people because all you're trying to do, and there's somebody, even if you see they get defensive, you can just say, look, I, I just want to clarify, I'm not trying to sell you. I'm really just trying to see uh, if this is a fit and if I can help. And if it does feel like a fit, I'm happy to. If not, I may know some other people I could refer you to, but that's my intention here. I'm really not trying to sell you. And if people can feel that, uh, if your mindset is very much of just trying to get to the truth, if that is your genuine orientation and your, your overt and, and uh, honest agenda, then uh, it feels better for everybody, including yourself, but also it, uh, it's more effective. And then you just start getting very curious about, yeah, how do I just cut to the chase? Instead mm. of spending hours, you know, <coughs> um, in these conversations with people and trying to build rapport, you could just say, oh, yeah, this is what I do. This is my niche. This is how I work. And I, think, and I think speaking, you know, like, like even us having this conversation today or if I do a free webinar or, you know, if you do a, a free live workshop and our videos and, you know, all those ways that people can see us and hear us, and if we're doing that and really being our authentic self and then, of course, letting that come over into our writing and our website, mm-hmm. it is, it, it does make it so easy. So, like, really putting yourself out there, you know, a lot of people, um, I work with a lot of coaches and healers, and, you know, one of the things, one of the big things we have to work on is that fear of being seen and heard, right? Again, that fear of being your authentic and putting yourself out there and being seen and heard. And, you know, they're, they're struggling in their business or whatever and in their health often too. And it's like, okay, this, this is really, like, this is really what needs to be so that you can receive the clients and then, of course, receive the money and, and you know, find that good fit, whether it be 
um, as you said, also a partner <laughs> dating. <laughs> I think that is a, is a total like, yes, for that too. It's like for everyone just to be who they are and put themselves out there as much as possible, as honestly as possible. And to stop being that people pleaser, right? Essentially wanting to be liked by everyone, wanting to please everyone. So what do you do? I know that we're, you've got such good stuff here. I'm just taking a look at our time. So what do you do, though, when you have people that do show up that have these, what do you want to call them? I guess money blocks. Like they really, I know we've talked about a lot of different angles today, but what if somebody does show up and maybe they just, you notice that they're doing all these things, but they just really have, Maybe it's the not good enough. Maybe it's, you know, whatever it is. How do you help people move through those money blocks? Well, I would just say that I don't think there's such a thing as a generic money block. So I, I don't know if I can answer the question in the abstract. because gotcha. if they, uh, Yeah, I'm just not good enough. You know, as a kid, I always heard this. Then I'd be like, well, go see a therapist. Right. That's probably what you <laughs> So you don't deal with that. <laughs> oh, you, you know, or, you, but there may be colleagues yeah. of mine who specifically work around that. Um, right. Yeah, there's a lot of things that can be, or it can be that they've got it all tied up with their self-worth. And sometimes they literally just need to hear me say, those are not the same thing, and walk them through a kind of resonant pricing thing, and then they feel totally fine. So, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So, And I like that, too, when you're like, oh, okay, um, this is the problem, this isn't the problem. Sounds like you help people to realize that, Right. Um, in, in your in your coaching, and then I love the the thing too. This is I think this is big for a lot of us to be able to say, you know what, I I don't think I can help you with that, but here is somebody that can. Because I think that's another thing that we've been ingrained is that it's not okay to say I don't know, or it's not okay to say, you know, that's really not you know what I can help you with. But I know somebody else can. Let me see if I can help you know help you find that person. Um, yeah, I think that's another really important piece here, but just being authentic and being honest. Well, and it's how that can turn into clients, too, where you, you're you chatting with somebody and they say, you realize, oh, I can't help you. You know somebody who can, and when you refer them over, you said, look, I was talking with this person. They needed help with this piece, which I don't do, but I know you do, and I, I really focus more on XYZ piece. Right. Well, now you've just referred, but this person now knows what you're good at. So when they run into somebody who needs help with that thing, they may say, oh, you know what, I just got a referral from this person who specializes, you know, in this particular thing. You should go talk to them because they specialize mm-hmm. in that and I don't. So you get this. There's no competition then. It's just an immense diversity of um, of offerings, you know, which is more uh, like an ecosystem. But but, but but then you start to see we're, going, we're back to where we started. If you want to be loved by everybody and do everything for everybody, well, that's the end of community now, because now you don't need yeah. to refer out to anyone. Nobody needs to refer out to you. It's every man for themselves going out there just trying to get as many clients as they can, faking it as if you are really an expert in all these things versus this beautiful, resilient, uh, interdependent community where people just know, oh, you're dealing with this, we send you to Bob. You're dealing with that, we send you to Jane. And everyone sort of knows who does mm. what best. And that's the end of arrogance. Yeah, amen. I can help everybody. <laughs> oh, really? I know. Yeah, it's like when somebody says, oh, yeah, I can help anyone, and 
but you don't need to pay me. I'm good. It's everything about that is arrogant. Oh, I think you just, I mean, I think that that is a really big piece that who everyone who's listening to this, it's like how many of us have a piece of that, you know, not to beat yourself up for it, but just that aha, like, wow, you know, here I, here I've been trying to, you know, thinking I could help everyone and, and I've been giving, 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 but I'm not, you know, it's, it's not that give and receive flow. It's, um, the end of arrogance. I love that. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that, Tad. And gosh, I'm going to go back and listen to this. You shared so many good things today that it's like, oh, I wouldn't have thought of that being directly related to like the topic of money flow. But of course it is, especially when it comes, you know, yes, to owning your own business. And even to those of you listening today um, or to the replay that don't own your own business, many of the things Tad shared really has to just do with relationships in general, right? Whether it's a friendship, whether it's a partnership, um, you know, yeah, it's, it's so interesting. Like it's all, it's all connected, right? That arrogance, that uh, thinking, thinking it has to do with your worth, just all of that stuff. So thank you so much, Tad. And I know that um, if anybody has a question, we can take a question or two. I know that we're kind of at the end of our time here. Um, if you're on the webcast, you can submit it um, at the bottom of the screen. And if you're on the phone, you can raise your hand, star two. And then, Tad, while we're looking to see if anybody has any questions, can you tell us a little bit about your free gift? Sure. Well, I mean, there, Your free stuff. If you go to my <laughs> yeah, if you go to uh, marketingforhippies.com/free, there's a bunch of free stuff. There's a 195-page ebook. There's a lot of videos. Um, I've got 700 blog posts, but the ebook is kind of the, the the main thing. And so, uh, it's a good way to get a, a better sense of what I do, how I see marketing. And uh, yeah, and if you go to nichingspiral.com, uh, there's a, a bunch of free stuff uh, on that website as well that you can check out if if the particular struggle for you is figuring out your niche, then I'd recommend that. And the marketing for hippies is more if marketing feels gross and you don't want it to anymore, that's you go there. Wow. Okay, great. So you guys, um, if you're on the webcast, there's a button all the way in the bottom that says Tad's free stuff. And I believe that takes you to more the the marketing for hippie stuff. And then Tad, I'll go ahead and also put in the the link that you just gave, um, if you could email that to me, and I'll put that up as well under the replay of this so people can get both. That would be great. Um, those of you who are listening on the podcast, um, iTunes or Podbean version, you can go to tanyapenny.com and click on the toolbar podcast, and it'll take you to Tad's interview, free gift, and um, really all the experts, um, including my free gift, the Vibrant Body and Abundant Life Starter Kit. So, um, yeah, awesome, Tad. Thank you so much. And do you have any, like, parting words, just one last little nugget? Um, it can be about money. It can be about business. It can just be about life in general, anything you feel guided to share today. Well, um, you know, just uh, I suppose it's proper to, to speak some gratitude in these things of mm. um gratitude that we got to have this conversation that, that it went went so well because that's never you know a given and 
for everyone who's listening and for the good work that I imagine a, good, a lot of them are doing in the world and, and, and how needed that work is and work that you couldn't do and I couldn't do, uh, I wouldn't want to do, but it's still so needed. And isn't it amazing that there are all these people out there in the world doing these things that don't directly benefit, uh, benefit us in the least? We'll never know about it, probably, or, or hear about some of these people. And yet uh, the world is, is fed uh, by their willingness to uh, continue on and keep saying yes to life and, and doing their work. And so, you know, of course, the thought that any of this might have any uh, nominal use uh, or application, which I don't imagine and I don't presume would be so. You know, I'm a, I'm a, a white man living up in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and uh, certainly it's a different context than a lot of people live in. So, so who can say what's, what's going to be useful and, and what won't on the receiving end? For people, mm. but um, and and uh, and it's got to be said, uh, gratitude. We're even both still in the world to have this conversation when when so many people who we love didn't live to see today, and, and we did, and that's that's uh, that's pretty good to, to still be here. And for those of you listening, that you still get to be here listening, and and uh, so all of that's just a, a, an immense occasion for for gratitude. And and uh, you know that you would you would uh, reach out to me and and imagine that I would have uh, anything I've used to say to your people, you know, very flattering and kind Aww. of you. And so um, may may we all get to see uh, tomorrow uh, when the sun rises, and uh, yeah, I'm grateful to have been here with you. Oh, thank you, and I, I love I really love that, Tad. That's. I think it's so important to, yeah, especially in this um, this time on the planet, um, everything you just said uh, around gratitude, around, and you are welcome. I'm so happy you said yes to be here today and um, to share your wisdom uh, and be vulnerable and authentic and knowing that it's not for everyone and, and neither am I. <laughs> Um, but yeah, yeah, gratitude for everything, right? Uh, everyone and everybody that is out there being, doing what they're doing and being their authentic self, whatever it is and whatever it looks like. And you know, if I can just maybe tie the, the beginning into the end here, we, we started off talking sure. about arrogance, and here we are in talking about gratitude. And uh, it's not that gratitude is the opposite of arrogance, but it's it's, it's a nice antidote to it. Because if somebody pays you money, it, that's just an occasion for an incredible gratitude that you are being afforded the chance to do something you love, which is not a privilege that every human has had in the history of the world. And many people have had a hellish existence and sold their soul and, and raised in such a way that they even thought that was a good idea. Yeah. And, and here you are getting to do this good work. And it's... it's um. One way, you know, I, I hear it sometimes in people's voices when they talk about getting a client uh, to say yes. You can hear the pride in it as if they got them to say yes because they were so good at their marketing and they used these stealth ninja tactics and NLP and whatever, and people said yes. And you can hear the arrogance even in that when it might be more appropriate to uh, just be grateful that this person who's also alive and making their own choices and had a lot of options available to them thought you were a good idea for some reason and decided to spend money that they worked very hard for, likely, that represents hours and hours of their life. 
and they decided to spend that on you. And they, they made that choice, and certainly you made yourself as appealing as, as you could, as we, we often do. But still, they, they, they said yes. They made the choice. They were the ones who made the choice. You know, and of course, it's the same in dating or relationships. Uh, you can sometimes, there's all these workshops and tactics on, you know, for men and women on dating and how to, how to, how to get somebody as if they were, you know, inanimate, a Pokemon. You just go and you collect them and you, like a, like a, a token that they weren't making a choice. But the, the truth is, it was almost all them. Hmm. Sometimes even looking at you saying, oh, they're so sweet. They're trying so hard. And in spite of that, I'm going to say yes. You know, sometimes they say yes in spite of how hard we're trying, not because of it. Mm -hmm. And so then how can you be anything but grateful? How can you be proud of the choice that they made? (laughs) So then there's just, there's nothing but gratitude of, oh, my God, they actually... And now I have a chance to work with them to do this thing that I love, that I was put in this world to do. You know, there's a fellow in Edmonton, Louis Cardinal. He's a Cree, um, his indigenous community up here, leader. And he said, you know, when babies uh, come into the world, you know, they, 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 their fists are closed. And their fists are closed because they're coming with a gift for the world. And that's what they're bringing with them. And oh, that the whole that. role of the community becomes how do we support that little one in bringing the gift that they were sent here to bring. And that the, the survival of the community depends on that. And so if you're in a position where you actually, number one, even know what your gifts are, which is rare these days. So many people don't. Yeah. And a lot of people, they actually got shamed for their gift. They love to sing and somebody told them not to sing, you know. It's a classic that yeah. happens all the time. So if you even know what your gift is, that's a miracle worth being gra- grateful for. Number two, if you have a chance to share it in any way, something to be grateful for. And if you're getting paid for it and people are willing to do it, I mean, just fall down on your knees already and, and, and spend the rest of the day giving thanks that that's even possible because it's so not true for everyone. It hasn't been true for everyone. Um, and and, uh, and it's, so it's a privilege. And then it's, it's something you're entrusted with. And then the question becomes, what does that ask of you, that you've been entrusted with that privilege? And what does that mean for all the ones who weren't given that same privilege? And how do you orient your days in such a way that those people who don't have the same privileges as you benefit from you having those privileges? Oh, wow. My heart just like... (laughs) Yeah, you said... um, Wow, thank you for, for sharing that. You said just some... I'm glad I asked you for another nugget because you just shared some really, I want to say like heart opening stuff there. And um, yeah, just how blessed we are. And like you said, just everyone listening, you do have a gift, right? And and maybe you're meant to, to share it in one way, or maybe you're meant to share it in another way in the world, but, but please, please do. However, however that, you know, looks for you, share, share who you are, because you, you are the gift. And I love that, that quote or that little story with the baby coming in and with the hands clenched. That's so beautiful. Oh, thank you so much, Tad. And um, thank you for everybody who is here. And if you're here listening, I'm guessing there's something you needed, um, wanted to hear in today's conversation. And I'm grateful you're here. I'm grateful. Um, I know there's a lot of podcasts out there. There's a lot of people to listen to. So grateful that you're here listening. And um, 
invite you to listen to the upcoming expert interviews this month and all the other coming months. There's a new topic every month. And, um, yeah, I guess my, my parting words are just, um, again, my quote, not my quote, but it's somebody's quote, that maybe we all swim in the ocean of mutual benefit. That just feels like it really goes with, with what was shared today. So, um, again, thank you, everybody. And, Tad, thank you so much for being here and sharing your gifts and your wisdom. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening to Vibrant Body and Abundant Life with Tanya Penny. If you like what you heard, the best compliment you can give us is to share this podcast with a friend and be sure to leave us a favorable review at iTunes. And remember to visit tanyapenny.com to receive all of your favorite free expert gifts, including Tanya's virtual workshop, The Vibrant Body and Abundant Life Blueprint.